Hello, and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we discuss an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see if you should check it out for yourself. I'm one of your hosts, Corey, and with me, I've got Liam. In the words of Lawrence Jameson, Ruprecht, do you want the genital cuff? Ew. And Mitch. Also in the words of Lawrence Jameson, in the words of Lawrence Jameson. Now, Diana, as you were saying, you don't think the poor should be allowed in museums. End of thought? Yeah. Beginning of podcast. Mitch, it feels like a miracle that you're even here because we haven't heard from you in a while. Well, I've been at sea. On account of you being at sea. <laughs> that's absolutely correct. What happened? Uh, Well, <clears throat> it was a uh, typhoon. No, a, a cyclone. Um, yeah, it was just cast away. Um, and now I'm back, so it's great. Anyway, I don't want to talk about it. It's kind of traumatic. I'm still processing. Well, so b- before we totally let it go i'm not going to make you go through you the traumatic part just make me go through it okay all right no 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 no, no i'm not but what i want to ask is because so the whole reason you ended up on the boat in the first place was because you didn't want to show up to the tokyo drift episode until you knew how to drift that's absolutely right i've listened to the episode <laughs> i totally have and then and then you didn't want to get off the boat until your cabin <laughs> fever uh-huh. went away so it's just ridiculous did you learn how to drift uh well i was adrift at sea if that counts <laughs> i don't know if that would really play well like for pink slips you can't really like well, give that it, to somebody it wasn't fast but the whole experience had me furious the entire time <laughs> until i was just too exhausted and i gave up under the baking sun under the baked ziti sun yeah i'm, I'm eating baked ziti right now straight into the fucking ziti again <laughs> that's a sopranos quote Everybody loves that boy from The Sopranos. What's his name? Bart Simpson. No, it's got yourself yeah. a gun. They put all of the. They put Bart Simpson on the T-shirt. He says the funny thing like, "Ah, ma, baked ziti." Right. Yeah. So, Mitch, you're you're home and you're alive and you're eating ziti. Yeah, and drinking baked. white wine, having a great time. Is that what typically goes with ziti? Well. I would usually pair a red with it, but there's white wine in the sauce, so I wasn't in about to sauce. open up. A, I wasn't about to open up a bottle of red after I used a white wine to sort of brighten the sauce, right? So I'm enjoying a nice red, or sorry, a nice white. So I gotta say, this really does make you sound like sort of like a, a debutante man about town kind a of debutante, a ritzy expert of things <laughs> a of the life of luxury. I have always depended on the kindness of strangers. <laughs> I it, makes you, it makes you sound like when you come to the coming out ball, I'm gonna wear a red dress and everything. The voice makes me think of Scooby Doo Zombie Island. That's where my mind goes. <laughs> it makes you sound like a really, you know, rich, sophisticated, uh, intelligent individual, not unlike uh, our hero <laughs> Lawrence Jameson in the hit film Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, which is what we watched. Well- I heard he was Emil, Dr. Emil Schaffhausen. Isn't that his name? Um, they're twins. They look awfully similar. Uh, um, one of them lost the last name in the war, so that's why he goes by Jameson now. Yes. Terrible tragedy. So this is, um, in, in many ways, a very Mitch pick. And, and in some, What the fuck was that? I don't know what was that. Monster. Did everybody hear that? No, no dude. You just it. you stopped talking. And I thought your mic. Died it must again. be psychosomatic. We need to get Doctor Emil Schaffhausen here. <laughs> Wait, did nobody <laughs> else hear that? That was no. fucking scary. Uh-uh. What, what, what I'm not like? doing a bit. I, like, I believe you're not. <laughs> it was well, like a big, loud, like static, like 
Like, hang, dude. I could have been my mustache bumping into the mic. No, I don't think your mustache is like the fucking internet villain from that other Scooby-Doo thing to keep that joke going. Uh, I don't even know who you mean. That was Scooby, a bag reference. Scooby-Doo with like the, <laughs> and, and like the digital man Cyber or space. something. <laughs> um, Scooby-Doo's digital man. Um, no, that was fucking freaky sound. I'll see if maybe like any of the recorded tracks have it. And if they do, I'll keep this in. Yeah. I don't see it on our tracks. I think if if they don't, <laughs> you should absolutely keep it in. People, like, this is the start of a subplot where Corey just starts to psychologically break over the course of multiple episodes. Starts to. <laughs> Breaking news. It's been happening. Anyway, I was saying something about uh, this movie. I think it was like, in many ways, this is a Mitch pick. And in many ways, it's not in the traditional sense. Uh, so, Mitch, I've got an qu- important question to ask you. Can you tell me about all of your boat trauma? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Shut the fuck up. <laughs> can you tell me about uh, why you picked this movie? Yeah, so I've never seen it, but it's it's one that I've been aware of for a long time. I know my dad likes this movie. I feel like I've seen like him watching it on TV, but I've never sat down and joined him for it. Um, big dad energy this movie yeah yeah it's a definitely like a huge like movie that your dad would probably like um, I'm gonna but, send my uh, dad a message right now actually yeah I bet you he probably likes it I know like Abby's mom loves it too um, but uh, it's it's one I've, I've heard of and I've also heard like the movie that it's based off of reference before the one with uh, Marlon Brando and David Niven um, what the hell is that one called uh, bedtime story 64 yeah yeah Bedtime story, which was originally written to have like Rock Hudson, yeah, and Doris which Day, is, yeah, Cary and, Grant, uh, yeah. Well, Honestly, Grant that sounds like a home. pretty fucking banging trio. Not yeah, gonna lie, I would watch that. I would watch. I would watch the shit out of that. I mean, Cary Grant pretty much has like a serious version of this role in To Catch a Thief, um, but uh, yeah, no. So I just heard about this movie. My dad liked it. It's one that I've been meaning to cross off the list because my dad often like references it as one of like the movies that he really likes. I've also like. Heard, seen it referenced in relation to a lot of like earlier cinema that I really like. Um, for example, the films of like Ernst Lubitsch, where I knew also... you were going to name drop that you guy. Can't, <laughs> you can't talk about about like this movie without. Well, you probably can, but I mean, it owes a great debt. To, nope, like, it's not possible because his films all often have to do with con men, like Trouble in Paradise, for example, where you have um, um, Herbert Marshall playing uh, Gaston Monescu, the man who walked into the Bank of Monte Carlo and walked out with the Bank of Monte Carlo. It's sort of a great sort of light effervescent comedy from the 30s with Kay Francis as well and uh, Miriam Hopkins. And then you also have films like Grand Hotel by Edmund Goulding with uh, Greta Garbo and John Barrymore and um, all these other, uh, Joan Crawford, all these like these star-studded casts about uh, grifters and, and people pretending who they're not to be to sort of swindle naive rich old ladies out of money and they're all sort of usually played for laughs and uh within that tradition there's definitely like a few um like problematic things that kind of arise for sure but um in large i really like a lot of those like old light-hearted comedies about uh thievery and treachery (laughs) so yeah this you love being deceitful i well yeah i don't love to i i just have to it's it's in my nature um yeah. Anyway, go, moving forward. Um, yeah, that's why I picked this movie. Uh, what was your level of w- awareness with this movie, Corey? Zero. Zero. 
I'm surprised because it's like a big, a big budget movie. It's got like a quite a reputation. And ironically, like right after you picked it, I instantly saw two tweets about it. Uh, but before that, I don't think it had ever come up in my entire life. Hmm. Liam, what about you? Zero, my friend. Wow. And uh, he's even, really even Tokyo since, drifting us here. Even since no one, no one has tweeted about it in my sphere either. I guess I just mm-hmm. don't hang out with dirty rotten scoundrels. I don't know, but I, I am kind of surprised that I haven't heard about this from my dad. I, mean, I don't know that my dad <laughs> likes dad this movie, core vibes. but it's massive dad core. So I just sent Everyone's, my dad a message to see. Dad's a Steve Martin guy, you know. You should okay. send him a message. I did. So he said, "I just said a few minutes ago, have you ever seen Dirty Rotten Scoundrels with Steve Martin?" He said, "Long time ago with Michael Caine?" Question mark. So he knows it, but it's it's not one he has on repeat viewings, which hmm. would probably be the only way I would have seen this movie. Um, so I have not seen it have not heard of it and know even less than nothing about the movies that it is the movie that's based on. And I even, I even discovered on the Wikipedia page that it was remade again in 2019, a movie called the hustle. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I had heard of that ironically. Yeah. Yeah. Corey told me he had heard of that. And I also have not heard of that. I actually Um, saw, I saw that movie when I lived in Vietnam. Hey, we can podcast about that too. Mm hmm. But yeah, I, 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 I got I nothing. I didn't really like it very much, but to each their own. You watched it? Yeah, I watched it in Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> what? He, uh, he, I literally he just, like, just fucking said it. He just said 20 no, seconds ago he watched it. I know he said it. I'm surprised. Why are you surprised? Just, because you don't watch shit like that. Yes, I do. I watch I watch shit like that. What are you saying, Corey? Come up with it and say it. That you like a, movies that aren't in color. And that don't pass the Bechdel test. And that dude, you hate movies that pass the Bechdel test. I've dude, Say it, say listen, it. I'm a show listener, say no, it. Listener, I've been with Mitch while trying to watch a variety of films. The second a movie passes the Bechdel test, he will turn it off. Oh my god. That's why gosh. I hate Alien. <laughs> <laughs> So Mitch is the expert here. Um, on and this even particular then, film. not really. Like I, I figured that. No, uh, I'm, not, I'm by no means an expert on. This I movie. figured that Mitch would have Relative seen the original one, but he hasn't even seen. Mitch is an expert on the hustle from 2019. That's about all we've got. Why aren't, why aren't we podcasting about that? Well, listen, I'm the kind of guy who respects a hustle when he sees it. Okay, a business opportunity. I believe right, that. I, hustle. I drive around. Nice restaurants with no muffler on my car. Okay, I like. What the fuck is that sound? Did you not? You're not hearing it? No, Corey. No, even man. look. Look at the waves, dude. It's not showing what? up anywhere. We need Doctor Emil Schiffhausen. <laughs> too sweet. Oh, God. it's psychosomatic. I know. Yeah, I'm concerned about Corey's well-being. Jesus Christ. But yeah, it's you a- you are you are a hustler, Mitch. You uh you picked a movie three weeks ago, and then you dipped out for me and Corey's movies, and now you're back for a dirty, rotten scoundrel. If, if that's not a hustle, I don't know what is. That's right. I'm playing the podcast game the way I want to play it. You got every right to do it. But I'm not a scoundrel or anything. I just watch the movies I want to see. Actually, no, I was I was too busy. I was at sea, you know. I couldn't. Yeah, anyway. You were drifting at sea, and then <laughs> you drifted to sea, and then La drifted mer. at sea. Yeah. Did you guys know that Beaumont sur Mer means Beaumont in the ocean? Those are the exact words. Oceanic Beaumont. 
<laughs> Oceanic Beaumont is like a good band name. No, it's a good album name. I've decided. All right. Um, cast and crew. Do uh, it. B- before I get possessed by the tech devil or whatever the fuck is happening. Um, well, that one was uh, Mitch doing a funny sound. That was a cliff racer from Morrowind. That was a speed racer from Morrowind. Um, so this movie's directed by Yoda. I don't know what else you want me to say. I don't get it. Uh, it's directed by Frank Oz. He's literally Yoda. He played Yoda. He's literally um... Yoda. Yeah. Uh, he's also like every Muppet. <laughs> and also the director of Little Shop of Horrors and the voice of the robot from Zathura. I like that role. Wait, you don't like Yoda or the Muppets? <laughs> Have not seen Yoda. and uh... What does that mean? <laughs> Like I've never seen any of the movies with Yoda. In. But you know, you've seen Yoda. <laughs> Not enough to form an opinion on him. <laughs> but like, okay, so tell me what Yoda looks like. He looks like uh, Frank Oz, of course. Well, not precisely. Well, you, you said that he played him. Yeah, but okay. <laughs> Do you think Frank Oz was riding around on Luke Skywalker's back as like a grown human man? He was. <laughs> Have you seen the production stills, bro? That's right. They just CGI'd him out of there <laughs> afterward. Yeah. It was a Dago buzz. Shut up. <laughs> uh, uh, Dago so boys. Bop, bop. Okay, that's enough of that. <laughs> anyway, Yoda's like a little funny green man. Um, Who? What, like uh, like Yoda. Like, like Lublin? Lubden? <laughs> um... Not precisely. You remember but that one, like, Corey? You're getting warmer. Um, as far as I know, Dale Lawner doesn't look anything like Yoda. He's also one of the three writers of this movie. Uh, he wrote My Cousin Vinny. I love that movie. That's a dad movie. That's for sure. dad core. That, for sure. that might be the daddest of my dad movies. My dad loves that movie. It's he. He has admitted that it's probably the movie he has seen most in his life. That's pretty based. Yeah. And then I'm Stanley Shapiro and Paul Hennig, both of a credit for writing the original movie. Oh, dang. It pulls that much from the original, hey? Uh, Yeah, they have like, uh, they have full on writing credits. They don't even just have like story by credits. Yeah. Yeah. That's surprising. Um, The movie's edited by two dudes. Is that like their stage name? Like those <laughs> Daniel guys? Yeah. The Daniels. These are the two dudes. Um, Stephen A. Rotter who edited The Right Stuff and Dog After. Like R-O-T-T-E-R? Yeah. Holy shit. Rotter. I just met her. Um, Wow. uh, He also edited Parent Trap from 1998. The best of the Parent Trap. And also Ishtar. What is that? It's an Elaine May movie with Dustin Hoffman and uh, somebody else. Oh, sure, sure. I know that movie. Yeah, they're like guys, they're like comedians in the desert or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know the one. Um, And then William S. Scharf also worked on Ishtar. Uh, The cinematography is by friend of the show, Michael. Michael Ballhouse, baby. Michael Ballhouse. Uh, here's a short reminder of all of the cool shit that he's done, starting with what we've watched on the show. The Color of Money, 10 out of 10. Bram Stoker's Dracula, like 16 out of 5. Um, 
The Age of Innocence, Goodfellas, Gangs of New York, The Last Temptation of Christ, Broadcast News, All Killer No Filler. Big Marty guy. Big Marty guy. wonder what he thinks of Marvel movies. I wonder what he thinks of Baked Ziti. I'm having some great Baked Ziti right now. Yum, yum. Every couple minutes, I'm getting absolutely terrified by that sound, and I don't know where it's coming from. It's still happening? Yeah, it's in my headphones, and I don't know why. That's creepy, dude. Try, uh, we should just have you take the headphones off for a few minutes and see if it's actually just in your head. The music is by Miles Good, uh, Good Man. Miles Goodman. Jesus Christ, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. But good, good man. <laughs> he did the music for uh, my Dunstan, good man, Dunstan Jackson, and uh, Teen Wolf and the Muppet Christmas Carol, and Sister Act Two, Back in the Habit, and Problem Child, and Little Shop of Horrors. Did he actually do Dunstan checks in? Yeah, <laughs> I'm not uh-huh. funny enough to just randomly include that. <laughs> I I, th- I don't think that's the first time that's come up on the podcast either. Dunstan checks in. No, I wish yeah. they had made like four of them so we could watch like Dunstan checks out and like fucking Dunstan Dun- never leaves. Dunstan Dunstan gets stuck in a time loop. Dunstan bakes ziti. Um. <laughs> <laughs> the sound just happened three times in a row, and it's genuinely scary. Dude, I am concerned for you. This is so fucking cursed. Um, but we power through. Um, so, so the cast, huh? So the cast. What about so, so the cast? Two guys don't need an introduction, so I won't be giving them one. Uh, it's Steve Martin and Michael Caine. Michael Caine. See, some men just want to see the world burn. It's watch the world. Come on. Shut the... F- Come the fuck on. Yeah, I've been fucking at sea for two weeks. No, bro, you would have I- lost it, sea. No one was with you that you couldn't have been doing that. <laughs> I'm, all I'm just trying to say is that I'm like fatigued and dehydrated and still recovering <laughs> from my sea journey. So if you could just like give me a fucking olive branch. Give me a break. Give me like give me something. Kit Kat bar. Sponsor us. You guys like Steve Martin? Yeah, he's all right. I love Steve, Steve Martin. Steve Martin sponsors. Well, maybe not. I didn't. I didn't like him in Looney Tunes back in action. So maybe. But uh, I, oh, I yeah. love. I love I planes, trains, and automobiles. That's one of my favorite movies. Jonathan Candy. Hmm. I love him. Famously in uh, planes, trains, and automobiles. Yep. Yep. Michael Caine famously plays a car in that movie. Um, one of the automobiles. I really, most of what I know of Michael Caine is from Austin Powers and Goldmember. Like throughout most of my life, people were like, you know, that's Michael Caine and Austin Powers, and I was like, I don't yep. know what that means. Like to me, it was just, <laughs> it, it was the opposite. It's not like Michael Caine is in Austin Powers. It was like, hey, this Austin Powers dad is in is in Batman. Interesting. Um, so so I, like. I, I have you're seen him in the down. Batman movies, but that came after. You're sitting down to watch like Children of Men, and you're like, "Oh, it's Batman's dad." I would, yeah. I haven't seen that, but I would be like that. You're watching like I've seen. Now you see me. That might be another place. Um, you watch one of the any, few places I've seen him. Any of the recent like uh, 
Christopher Nolan movies that don't have Batman. He's in those. Uh, Inception? Yeah, he's I've in there. I've seen that one. Oh, you know what you should watch with fucking Michael Caine in it? Mitch, you should know what I'm about to say. Uh, I didn't know Michael Caine did that in a movie. Uh, yeah, he, fu- he fucks know. a lot in the movie Sleuth. Oh, fuck, yeah. That's uh, he and, Fuck, uh, yeah. He uh, and Lawrence Olivier. Olivier. Yeah. This is a two-man <sighs> show, but that movie is, like, superb. Also, like Jaws, Jaws the Revenge. Show. Jaws the oh. Revenge. Oh, shit. Wait, is that the Jaws movie we did? Yeah. It is, yeah. I wasn't oh. there for it, but yeah, he's in that. He plays the airplane pilot. How did you remember that better than I've I did? I've seen that movie. Also, so uh, also oh. uh, Dress to Kill, Brian De Palma. He's good in that. He's in the Muppet Christmas Carol. Movie. He plays Yoda. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> Funeral it in looks, Berlin. It looks like we can do this sleuth movie on the podcast. It seems to be a remake. Can we? Can we? Yeah. Because that movie is based... like That's... It's a really? remake of what? It's a remake of the movie Sleuth. <laughs> <laughs> it's got my ass. <laughs> For real? Yeah. Yeah, it says it was uh, It was a uh, an adaptation of a play. There was mm. the play, and then Michael Caine did the 1972 version of a movie, and then he also did the 2007 version. Wait, there's oh. a 2007? Oh, fuck that. Oh, you guys aren't talking about the 2007 No, one? we're talking no. about the 1972 the version. The one with Laurence Olivier. That was oh. fucking awesome. Directed by Joseph Mankiewicz. There's a 2007 one? Yeah, well, either Ew. way, we, we can do... Uh, I figured you guys were yeah, like huge that. Kenneth Branagh heads, and that's why you're yeah, talking Of course about he it. fucking did. Of course he did. He shits on everything I love. That piece of shit. That <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> like he thinks, he can, st- he thinks he can step into Lawrence Olivier's shoes? That son and of a bitch. And Poirot? You motherfucker. He's a bad Poirot. You. He's the worst Poirot there's ever been. Harold Pinter is in this movie. What the fuck? Is he? Dang. Yeah. What's Harold Pinter doing in this? <laughs> what? I like his I like his scripts. I like his plays, but Hold on. Hold on. Servant? Hold on. Wait, this Wonderful. stars Michael Caine and Jude Law? Yeah, look at Jude Law's comb over on this poster. It's bad, dude. Gnarly. That's bad. What the fuck are we doing? I don't want to know that I don't want to know about this. Let's switch subject. Yeah, oh, also, we'll say we'll save it for the episode. Oh, don't worry. I'm going to pick it in about 45 minutes. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Dude, Mitch you're is like, such oh, a good Yoda I, I, I got a calling to be at sea next week. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I got a date with the ocean. Okay, so really quick, uh, other people in this movie. Uh, Glenn Headley plays Janet Colgate. has nothing to do with the toothpaste. Um, she was in Dick Tracy. Can you say that categorically? Man. Janet Colgate has nothing to do with it? Because, I mean, they talk about, like, soap empires, and they say that... Yeah, Colgate doesn't make soap. They make they toothpaste. They make toothpaste. But, I mean... And if you try to tell me that's they... tooth soap, I will come through this microphone and beat you up. Okay, I'm going to drop it then. <laughs> uh, Anton Rogers plays Andre. Uh, he's done just a, a cosmic amount of television. Uh, it was also in an adaptation of The Merchant of Venice. Um, Barbara Hess. Do we not bleed? All Merchant right. of Venice, big dad core when it comes to Shakespeare plays. Uh, is it? Is it? That's my. It's my dad's favorite. So know. it's your dad's core. It is. Yeah. Your dad's like favorite Shakespeare play. To. That's kind of cool. Oh, my dad's Shakespeare nerd. I don't know what my dad's favorite Shakespeare play would be. I don't know if I don't know if he's a big Shakespeare head. My dad's is a Midsummer Night's Dream. He's a big Columbo head. That's basically Shakespeare. That Columbo um, is also dad core. 
Yeah. And by that, Columbo, I mean my dad. I fucking more. love Columbo. Dude, Columbo's so fucking good, dude. And my dad loves Columbo. You guys are such dads. Well, I mean, th- Columbo's for everybody. Columbo's egalitarian entertainment. Liberté, égalité, Columbo. Columbo. That's, they put it on the French flag. <laughs> Peter Fox smoking a cigar in a raincoat. Barbara Harris plays Fanny Eubanks in this movie. Um, two of these movie titles I picked out because they're comically long, so bear with me here when I hit those. Uh, she's in Gross Point Blank in Nashville um, in a movie called Nice Girls Don't Explode. Um, and then these two movie titles. <clears throat> oh, Dad, poor Dad, Mama's hung you in the closet and I'm feeling so sad. <laughs> it's my That's favorite Fiona Apple album. <laughs> And uh, also, who is Harry Kellerman and why is he saying those terrible things about me? That's my favorite Panic at the Disco song. <laughs> uh, Ian McDermott is in this fucking movie, which is awesome. The Senate. Famously, he is the Senate. Um, Liam probably needs that one explained. That's a Star Wars joke. <laughs> because Ian McDermott plays the, the, the bad guy in the prequels. Is, is that Yoda? Uh, yep. He also plays Yoda. That's 100% correct. No, that's not true. So, like, uh, he does the voice and Frank Oz is the, <laughs> Frank the, Oz the is person. There. Uh, no, he plays, uh, Emperor Palpatine, uh, slash Darth Sidious, slash Chancellor Palpatine. Back that's that guy, still that's that guy with the hood, right? Kind of looks yeah. like an old man. Well, he is an old man, yeah. Oh, okay. He just is, yeah. Nothing, like, happened to him or nothing. He just... Dang, he just got old? Well, I mean, no, they no. He doesn't just look like a like a husk of a man. Whatever. This is getting away from me. Uh, Dana Ivy is Mrs. Reed. She is in the Adams Family and Rush Hour Three and Ocean's Eight. Favorite movie of all time and Legally Blonde Two. So we've actually seen her before. Um, and also the adaptation of Sabrina from 1995 with Harrison Ford. And uh, Sabrina's kind of gross. Hasn't aged well. Well, we'll find out next week when I also make us watch that. We're doing a double feature of 2007's Sleuth and Sabrina from 1995. <laughs> Corey is drunk with power. <laughs> um, Megan Fay plays uh, Miss Trumbull. Uh, she's in Barton Fink and Magnolia and La La Land and at least one episode of Boy Meets World. Mm, I'd be curious to know which one. Uh, I actually had it up uh, a second ago, so I can tell you momentarily. If if you are that curious, that we can discover this with ease. I'm curious. With ease. She was also on a bunch of Malcolm in the Middle, which I'll mention while I scroll past the Malcolm in the Middle credit. What did you say her, her name was? Uh, Megan Fay. Look at a pic of her. I know I saw her in this movie, but I didn't uh, recognize her face. Uh, it's called "They're Killing Us." Mm, yeah, season that's, that's, seven, episode six. That's right. That is from the college years. Is that bad? It's not as good, but uh, it's still good. Not as good though. Fair enough. Understandable. As long as Ryder Strong is still there. He is. Really? Yeah, he, st- he stays all the way to the end. Yeah. Uh, Francis Conroy plays Diana. Uh, she was in uh, I'm the Joker movie. The Joker. Starring the Joker. Um, and also for Mitch, she's also in The Aviator. Okay. 
the way of the future. Uh, Louis or Lewis, I don't actually know. Zorich it plays Nikos, the Greek millionaire. <laughs> He's in uh, The Muppets Take Manhattan and also Fiddler on the Roof, the 1971 version, a.k.a. the best one. <laughs> Uh, I say that rich man. I say that with a very strong opinion, despite the fact that I have seen exactly one adaptation of Fiddle on the Roof, and it's that one. I've seen the one from the seventies, but yeah, that's the one I'm yeah. talking about. <laughs> Norman Jewison just kind of has it down. You know what I mean? Yeah. I watched that at school for some reason. Um, I still don't totally know, or rather, I don't totally remember why. And I wasn't really like, um, I was not in any meaningful way like a musicals person at the time. But I was like, this is fucking awesome. Like, it's really good. Dude, Fiddler on the Roof, if you haven't scoped it, folks. If I was a rich man, hits. Heater. Like a, like a stack of bricks. I find myself like singing it when I'm washing the dishes or something. <laughs> yeah, man. Liam, have you seen Fiddler on the Roof? No. Dude, that shit goes crazy. <laughs> Dang, that Fiddler Very gets good. up to some stuff, eh? Dude. He he's- is on the roof. Spoilers. I I love movie titles that spoil the end of the movie. Fiddler on a hot tin roof. Wrong movie. I was I was thinking of Cat in a Hot Tin Roof though. I used no. to confuse those two movies all the time before I watched both of them. So Mitch, uh, do you do you uh, do you want to do you want to explain the plot of this movie for me? Actually, do you want to sure. do that? Uh, so Michael Caine's character, Michael Caine, Lawrence Jameson, is a. Uh, kind of a Cary Grant into catch a thief type. He lives uh very lavishly on the French on the French Riviera and he makes his money by swindling naive ladies in elaborate deals where he impersonates all manner of of people like a, a revolutionary leader or I mean, you name it, and he's probably done it. But he carries himself with an air of sophistication. He takes pride in his education and his uh dedication to his to sort of grooming and like and and uh appearances and art and come and so pretty much like he's doing it he's doing his swindling thing and then um freddie benson comes in who's played by steve martin and he's an american and uh he is also a bit of a con man and they encounter each other each other on a train and freddie starts stealing Lawrence's business and Lawrence is really pissed about this and so they go back and forth and eventually Lawrence decides to take Freddie under his wing and show him a thing or two about how to how he can really make money in the Riviera with a bit of charm and sophistication and he tries to to sort of uh have his charm sort of rub off on on Freddie but it doesn't really happen and so the two men kind of end up not liking each other and they develop a rivalry and so they say, hey, you know, this town isn't big enough for the two of us. We need to make a deal. So they arrive at this sort of sweepstakes deal where they say if they can swindle this soap heiress out of her money, out of $50,000, and whoever can do it first will uh, be able to stay in the French Riviera and, and whoever loses has to leave. And that's pretty much the setup for the movie. And it's this hijinks ensue, and that's that. And low jinx. Low jinx, too. And uh, at a certain point, the 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 deal does take on a more Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift tone, if you'll indulge me, where they decide, okay, 
we're not going to make somebody leave, I guess. What or no, I misspoke. We're not going to try to get $50,000 from this lady. So what if we just try to get her to hook up with one of us? Which is essentially the bargain being made at the beginning of the Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift, famously, as we all know. Yep. Tokyo Drift might have been inspired by this movie, after all. I think, actually, I think that this is a total ripoff of the Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift on Scoundrels. Yeah, it makes They're me like Tokyo Drift movie. more for being yeah. so innovative. They're basically the same movie. I don't know how they got away with it, frankly. Yoda should have been, you know, having to put in the footnotes or something. Yeah. So, uh, what did everybody think? <laughs> what do you think? I guess, yeah, I did pick it. Um, there are things I really like about this movie. I'd say, by and large, I had I had fun with it. I'm glad I watched it. Um, I might even watch it again at some point. I would say, in large, it's a positive movie, but I think it's also a movie of, like, missed potential. But some of the gags are really good, and I found myself sort of smiling. It's... it's um, it is like a very lighthearted movie in a lot of ways. Um, in a lot of ways, it's also kind of dated, and so there's some uncomfortable stuff too. But, uh, you know, it came out in the 80s. But um, by and large, it's, it's a yes for me. Uh, and we can get into the reasons why but later, but yeah. Liam? Uh, I thought the movie was, was mostly laced with mid-jinx. No, not high <laughs> nor low jinx. Um, Your shit's mid. <laughs> yeah, no, I came out liking it too, but um, I think for the runtime that it has, you know, a little over a hundred minutes, I think um, it it it's not as sustainable as I as I would want. Like, I think it kind of drags in the middle. Um, I think that. Some of the gags are really funny, but there's also like not really enough um, just like constant wit to me. Um, and th- that's just the way it struck me, you know, like I I watched the the Ruprecht scene again on YouTube yesterday um, and people in the comments were like, this is the funniest movie of all time. Literally every line is gold. And they like listed out some of the lines that are being said in this video. And like to me, they just like, those lines don't really strike me as jokes. But but I also have movies like that where I, like every line is just funny to me. So it sometimes stuff there. just hits you. Yeah, maybe, dude. These are all yeah. dads in the comment section. Yeah. Or um, they all saw it when they were like 11. <laughs> yeah. So... I I'm glad I saw it for a few of these gags. I really do like Steve Martin, um, it, and this is kind of prime Steve Martin time um, for me. I I think Michael Caine is very charming. I I was gonna say I'm less familiar with him than Steve Martin, but honestly, I'm probably about the same familiarity. I've, I've probably seen Austin Powers and Goldmember about as much as I've seen Plain Strains and Automobiles. Um, I I would ju- I would have liked it if it was if it was a bit funnier like just co- more constantly funny. Um, I, I tend to prefer my comedy to be like just rapid fire um, dialogue based stuff. This and, has that, but not not to the not you know. And I don't want yeah. to cut you off. Sorry, keep going. No, yeah, yeah. But I I didn't feel like it had it to the extent that I wanted. I felt like a, a lot of it was like killing time while it gets to another um like set piece gag so uh it was it was good but 
kind of mid, kind of mid for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good podcast, guys. Yeah. <laughs> All right. See you um, next time. I um yeah I wasn't I wasn't crazy about it um it just kind of it didn't it doesn't work great for me and I also would agree that um a lot of the bits that go on for like extended periods of time I'm like checking my watch because I'm like okay this bit has run out of steam and we're still doing it and we're still doing it <laughs> and we're still doing it like that was kind of frustrating and then as Liam said there are other parts where it just feels like it's killing time until it can tee up what the next joke it wants to do is um I think it looks pretty cool I think the setting is is a fun one to look at I think it's clear that everybody's having a pretty good time looks nice uh fun to see the Orion Pictures logo on it of all production companies or distribution companies um Best yeah, part of the movie. All downhill from there. <laughs> Weird to see Orion producing this sort of uh, prestige picture. Hey, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I It did not bowl me over in any meaningful way. You know, I think Liam touched on something interesting where he was talking about the nature of the comedy, and you kind of did too, where you said it wasn't, it doesn't zip enough, right? It's not fast enough. But um, I think... Part of the comedy's success is that, to me, and why it appeals to me, is that a lot of it is kind of like a, a comedy of manners. Like so many older uh, movies, like the movies I mentioned when we were talking earlier, the Lubitsch, the Lubitsch ones and the uh, the Golding ones from like the, the comedies about about frauds in the '30s. Like those are all comedies of manners, where um, it's kind of like a um a, a lot of like the humor is a bit um, more grounded and like the the farce is more about sort of um like how naughty they're being betraying like those those manners and like that's not necessarily for everybody but it's a kind of it appeals to me um what is a comedy of manners mitch if people don't know well i think like the <laughs> the definition is like a, like a bit a bit flexible but i've always sort of thought of them as um movies that kind of uh exist in in like starched uh <laughs> environment like starched like sort of upright environments um where like there are like codes and rules and um the characters within them kind of gleefully uh break those rules or bend them to like their uh, to w whatever sort of works for them. Um, I think there's like lots of good examples. Like if you watch, for example, like especially in the in the 30s, like if you watch like My Man Godfrey or, or um, I don't know, a lot of the a lot of the screwball comedies from the 30s, Bringing Up Baby, um, all those movies are kind of good examples of that. And that's the kind of comedy that you, that I think is at work here. Um, and it's a kind of comedy that doesn't really exist anymore. And I don't think hits as well with a 21st century audience. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I, I enjoy comedies of manners, but yeah. yeah you're, you're not a 21st century audience. If we've learned anything throughout this uh, podcast endeavor. No. <laughs> and I don't think foundationally I have an issue with like comedies of manners. I think I've probably liked a handful. Um, I just, this just wasn't clicking with me very much. Um, 
that could be a question of expectations. It could be a question of whether it's a kind of comedy that I like. I don't really know how to like accurately put it, but I was impatiently sitting through chunks of it just being like, okay. I was too. I was too. I think that this movie is maybe like 10 to 20 minutes long. Too long. Um, I love the production design. It's great to look at. The costumes are gorgeous. It, it, it whips up this great sort of meringue, but, uh, I think some of it's just like not that funny and couldn't be there. I think especially the stuff sort of near the end with, with Dr. Schiffhausen, I think, that sort of stuff dra- sags to me. Um, yeah, and then also just like the fucking Ruprecht bit is really fucking brain dead. <laughs> like, yeah, it's a bit dated. Well, uh, it, dated for sure, but also just like I don't even think it's executed well, dated or not. I'm just annoyed. Like, it's, it's juvenile. Like I, there are, it's are like so just like it's there just are weird. There are weird sort of um like weird and what is like otherwise like a pretty sophisticated comedy. There's there's like weird uh, jolts of uh, of just like juvenile behavior, and I get it that like Freddie Benson's kind of like a, a juvenile guy, but you have like the line where he's like, "I can feel my balls dropping," or just like stuff like that 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 you might hear somebody shouting in like a locker room in the eighth grade. Like it's it's just like um, it feels like there were points where it couldn't decide it what out part of, of out it. of place. Yeah, it feels like there were parts of it where I couldn't decide what it thought about the Steve Martin character would be funny. Yeah. Yeah, and I think Steve Martin's style of comedy is that, like, he's not... um, I've always thought of it as a kind of guy who's just, like, throwing stuff at a wall and seeing what sticks. And you could say, Mitchell, all comedy is that. But I think... But his is especially that at times. He's especially sort of spraying and slinging. And I feel like with Steve Martin, a lot of his comedy doesn't land with me. But when it hits, it hits. Like, I thought the part where he was shouting out different names in the jail was, like, fucking hilarious for some reason. I'm not sure why, but... Yeah, that, but yeah. that also strikes me as a bit I would do, which is yeah. part of why I'm like, that is funny. It yeah. is ironic that I'm saying these bits go on too long when half the fucking jokes I make on this podcast are me dry, drawing something out for no goddamn reason. I think Michael Caine is a really good foil to Steve Martin's style of comedy in this as well. Because I, I don't necessarily think of michael kane as like a comic actor i know he does comedy and he's like sleuth is a funny movie and he's good in that even though he but um i don't i don't think of him as like a as a comedic guy but he is really funny in this but more so just through like his his structure and his grace and his charm and he's funny in in the way that as like being a foil or in like the classic sense of being like the straight the straight guy um yeah the straight man playing the joke straight yeah i can't believe it's pride month and you're saying the word straight so much (laughs) (laughs) i love the way that this movie kind of like the way that it weaves and sort of like did you guys see the twist coming in the end no i i really liked that i really liked the ending too it was great especially in the way that it kind of um in hindsight, it seems so obvious. It does, but I didn't see it coming. It was um, the best twist. But it, it is it was sort of refreshing because these both these guys are such sort of like chauvinist fools, and it, it is really satisfying to see her getting on the plane with the money, having conned them both. Um I think I would have liked it better if it ended with her getting on the plane and maybe leaving them and just not going back with like an even bigger business opportunity since they were just going to take her money. I mean, it doesn't really make sense for her character to do that, but 
I don't know. Yeah, I'm with you, Mitch. I thought the tag of her going back to them and them working as a three-piece was kind of strange. Um, it was a happy ending, I guess. In terms of the writing, yeah. But I was dang happy with her leaving them there. I thought that was an awesome fist pumper of an ending. And I yeah. actually thought that that was one of the funnier moments in the movies. I In the movie, I think um, I tend to like uh, when characters in movies play it straight and uh this the humor just like comes from like the little ways they say things where it's not totally bombastic there are times when you can push it all the way to the other end of the spectrum and it gets me like god forbid uh ace venture a pet detective you know i said that eventually some of that stuff won me over but my favorite comedies are um when they're mostly like straight all the way through and uh, and then it just gets funny. Like I know Steve Martin as a straight man because of Plain Strains and Automobiles. Um, I think he's hilarious in that movie, uh, just being um, the the solid kind of no nonsense dude next to John Candy. And so when Janet leaves them at the end, and they're both just like looking at each other and and saying, you know that that uh she never gave me any money or or uh i didn't take her money and they're just kind of figuring it out together and they're on an equal playing field i thought that was really funny i i liked the way that the actors played that moment and i also liked kind of seeing them get what was coming to them because though they're both charming characters um I was also like, am I supposed to be on these guys' side or yes or no? And so when she left them, I was stoked. And then for it to then wrap around and have her come back to them um, was just like less, less unique, less impactful to me. But I still, I did really like the writing of that ending. The production design of that ending is really great too. I think Michael Caine's house, like in the way that it looks, is really brilliant. With like that that cactus off to the left hand side and like that um, ornate like white bench or whatever that they're they're both sitting on and looking out into the ocean. And it feels like a Lubitsch ending where they're both like, "Yep, we both got conned." And then I think. Uh, the way that they just sort of shoehorned in that happy ending where it's like, we're a trio now. We're a bunch of dirty, rotten scoundrels. Like, I, I didn't really do it for me. It's, it seemed like maybe it came from, I don't know how often they did this back then, but it seemed like it was like a reshoot thing. Like, they got to set up for the sequel. Like, this is going to be a franchise now. <laughs> That's sort of what it felt like to me. Um, maybe. It's just unnecessary. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Corey? That I'm not going to say anything more interesting than what you guys are already saying. <laughs> yeah, I find um, myself with, with not too much to say about this movie. This left very little impression on me. Mm. Um, yeah. To the point where uh, when there was a chance that um, Liam wasn't going to be able to make this episode, I was sweating a little bit because I was like, I don't have that much to say. Oh, boy. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I don't know. We did Phantom of the Opera like 1925. We can do anything. <laughs> I, I had more to say about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I liked putting on the Ritz. That, that was a funny sequence. I thought it dragged, though. No, I just mean the song. Uh. <laughs> did, you, did you guys have a favorite gag or scene? I'll go first. Mine was... Um, when Steve Martin characters Freddie Benson, which I've only just noticed as we do this podcast, that's the name of that dude in iCarly. 
Freddie Benson. Oh my god, it is. Is that I can't believe that this movie ripped off iCarly and that other thing we said it ripped off. Right? I the know. Fast and the Furious took you not an original idea at all. And it also ripped off uh the Muppets. It's got all those actors in it. Just ridiculous. But my favorite scene was when Freddie Benson is uh pretending to psycho somatically, I guess, be in a wheelchair. Um which I think is is a funny concept. I think that's much funnier than him actually pretending that like his legs are just permanently f- physically paralyzed, and there's no way he'd ever be able to stand again. This idea that that uh, there's a chance that he could stand because it's it's just it's it's in his head blocking him from standing. I think that's a cool idea. And my favorite scene was when uh, Michael Caine is whipping him to ask if it hurts. And he has to he has to pretend that it doesn't hurt, lest he uh, gives it away um, to the person they're trying to con. And I just think that is really good humor. That is like just the right amount of um, physical comedy and like absurd, but also realistic. Like the Ruprecht thing. I'm with you guys. That that was like a, just a bit too out there for me, eye rolly, but. Uh, him just getting like smacked in the leg by a whip <clears throat> and Michael Caine knowing what he's doing to him and like he's relishing it but he also has to pretend that he's not enjoying it hitting him with this whip and then Steve Martin having to like pretend that it's not hurting it's just like a kind of an amazing bit of physical comedy um, that I, I I really liked whereas Ruprecht was a bit too like Looney Tunes back in action for me yeah, I'm with I think you there. Like BDSM. <laughs> <laughs> you liked it too, Mitch. I'm I'm with you there. I, the Rupert one falls flat, but I thought that the the stuff with Emil Schaffhausen was funny. I thought I really liked the part where uh, Michael Caine's convinced one woman that that he's like the leader of like a uh, he's a prince and he's in danger and his people are. Um, oppressed by some sort of foreign regime and they're revolutionaries and he's convinced this woman that he needs this pearl necklace at the start of the movie to like finance the revolution and uh he's also like pretending to be like a a obviously emil schaffhausen a, a german doctor and his his two marks like meet at once like when he's getting into a car and she like salutes the woman who thinks that he's like a revolutionary like slash prince like shouts like your highness and like salutes him and and like bows and drops to her knees and it's like oh fuck how is he gonna get out of this one and then he tells the woman that he's pretending to be like a psychiatrist to that it's one of his incurable patients and i thought that that was really funny i love when movies that are about griffs kind of have like the two marks meet and it's like how the fuck are they going to get out of this and so many movies do that um and uh i i, I really enjoyed that particular part i like that part too i thought that that was um this movie it really is it's laced with um some good parts uh, yeah, and good, good actors and 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 good parts to it. It's just like some of it, honestly. Like I think Corey made the joke, or, or might have been you, Mitch, where like you said, like you had to, you just had to be there in terms of yeah. uh, finding every line funny. And I, I think some of that uh, really must apply. Like I can really see this killing in the '80s, and also 
I mean, maybe not. Maybe I wouldn't have had to have been younger. Maybe it's just a time period thing because um, this isn't necessarily a kid's movie. But I, I also think that if you grew up as a kid loving this movie, you would you would very likely love it now. But I just think that I'm just... Uh, yeah, I guess I just I grew up on different style of comedy movies that I'm sure shaped my taste. And so this movie uh, either drifts into my tastes um, every now and again, or it it makes me laugh in spite of my tastes, but it's just not all the way consistent. So, uh, but, you know, it's it's that's tough to do for comedy um, to make me laugh all the way through. I still think it's an enjoyable time. Yeah. I'm with you. I think in the 80s, this movie would have slapped a uh, like not only because of production design and because like the 80s were a time of uh, returning to traditional values. So you kind of had like the 80s does the 50s and like fashions and music videos reject and, and modernity and British tradition, although ironically here the tradition is modernity. Yeah. Huh? Or, or urbanity. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's from a, from a like production design uh choice like it makes perfect sense that this movie was like a smash hit in the 80s um because there was kind of a preoccupation with like the 30s and the 50s um but i'm with you a lot of it and, it, and a lot of it does sort of cater to my tastes uh but a lot of it doesn't um there's a lot of things that i feel really out of place there's a lot of uh going into the reads and um as a result I'm I like this movie. I think it's a good movie, but I'm not head over heels for this movie. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's I, fair. I think that's sort of where it ends up and and even, you know, um it being a big hit and being well reviewed back in the day, I think that like it it hasn't carried over the way a lot of other comedy movies have. Not not I don't mean in terms of like me finding it funny. I just mean in terms of like cultural re- relevance and how often it's brought up like just uh going on letterboxd for a second like not many of uh the people i follow of course this is a, a, a small circle but compared to other comedy movies of the time like if i go to planes trains and automobiles um i've got i got like 35 of uh my my uh circle has watched it but if i go to this one it's like 10 of them you know what i mean so i think that it just it it hasn't necessarily um caught on the way that uh some other comedy movies do which maybe is like indicative of of the kind of movie it is where it's it's enjoyable but it's uh maybe not likely to be a favorite if you're coming to it late yeah well yeah cory do you have anything to cap it off with i don't think so (laughs) all right let's uh... leave it at that then yeah um i feel like i i feel like a bit of a bum to be honest um I just don't have a lot here. That's fair. That's totally fair. Sometimes it'd be like that. Shall we uh, set up the next one then? We'll try. <laughs> have you made um, a decision? Not really. Slew, I'm still 2007. I'm, I'm Slew, juggle- 2007. No, I'm just I'm, kidding. I'm juggling a couple. A couple. Let, of us, let us help you, Corey. Liam said he wanted to watch a cool movie in that house. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't mind. Yeah. So... 
Uh, okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna narrow this down to movies <laughs> Liam can watch in a house. I just realized that that part was before we started recording, so people are like, "What the fuck house is Liam going yeah, to?" Yes, yeah, so let's continue. That house. Yeah, so I'm gonna this the the category is movies Liam can watch in a house. The, um, yeah, the mystery house. So okay, so I was thinking of a couple things here, and like, do I do I just like mini genero this stuff in my head? Or what? What's the solution yeah, to this problem? Mini Genoa, bro. Just like flip a coin. When it's in the air, you'll know what side you're on. All right, Let's but do it. I. And where do I get a four-sided coin? It sounds like you got somewhere to be. Are you waiting for the ZD? What's up with you? I told Cameron I'd give him some ZD. He <laughs> just come get it. He lives he's, upstairs. Yeah, he's practically banging. He's practically breaking down the door at this point. Just you can go let Cameron in. It's locked. You can go let him in. No, we'll just mull this one over. <laughs> Just make him wait. Um, okay. What do you got, Corey? Let us in on, on the four. Oh, should I do that? Okay. Yeah. Uh the the 80s version of Breathless is one Fuck of the Fuck yeah, four. I've been meaning to do that. Uh Nightmare on Elm Street 2 is one of the four. Um where uh actually let's put body chemistry four in there just for shits. And there was another one. Where the fuck did it go? Okay, three, I guess. I don't... I had four, but... Okay, so let's go with that. So... Do we have any strong... Actually, I have an idea. Don't even worry about it. I have okay. an idea. Okay. I just accidentally typed coin flippo into Google. <laughs> so, um... I've assigned a movie to each of you. Uh, one of you call it. Tails. Heads. That's what I was gonna pick, Mitch. So it was heads. So I—I I mean, I gave Mitch breathless because it's the Mitch vibe. So we'll do breathless. All right. <laughs> I kind of did want it to be Nightmare on Elm Street too, but coins are coins. Honestly, I think I would <laughs> rather do Nightmare on Elm Street too. Really? Yeah. Why? That's just more the vibe I'm feeling right now. Don't question the man, Corey. I don't really want to watch a 1980 remake of Breathless. Absolutely. You just said you'd been meaning to do that. I've been meaning to do it, but I'd rather watch Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Okay, Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Happy Pride Month. It's the gay one. Thank God. (laughs) Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Um, And eventually we'll do Freddy's Nightmares. This is great. Uh, Apparently the... uh, um, the internet at this mystery house I'm going to isn't isn't great. Should be good enough to do the podcast, DVD. but but I'm br- I'm bringing my Blu-rays to the house, Blu-rays. Um, and so I can just bring my uh, my Nightmare on Elm Street too. This is great for me. There you go, sick. Oh, I could probably I could watch it on Blu-ray too. I forgot. Hell yeah, dude. Maybe maybe there's some special features I haven't explored that second disc yet. Special features. Some special features. Cool. <laughs> well, I look forward to it. So. Mitch, you gotta go let in Cameron. Do you have anything you want to plug before you do that? Or oh, my big CD. I'm at sea. This was real quiet. I guess the water's just quiet. Well, I don't think this one is a bit. I think he's. This is actually just the sounds of him letting he's not Cameron at sea in. in his house. Big ZD. That just can't be true. Well, that's just the trauma talking. He that's just him. That's just him being him being dramatic. <laughs> um. All right, uh, Liam, do you have anything you'd like to plug? 
Yeah, uh, my film writing alter ego is Graham the Haunted Marshmallow. You can look me up uh, on Twitter and Letterboxd at Graham the Mallow. And don't try to see what I rated Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 because I am getting rid of it right now. Ooh. So, listener, if you're fast enough, you may be able to travel back in time and see it before he deletes it. Hopefully you did it in time, because it's gone. <laughs> um, yeah, I haven't rated... I've seen the movie, but I don't believe I've given it a letter rating on Letterboxd. Let me check. Maybe I have to delete it as well. I don't know. I'm going to beat you there, Corey. Ah, you probably will. I searched it wrong. I accidentally put no space between the movie title. Uh, and the... I made the mistake of searching your your account instead of the movie that. Uh, reviewed. Okay, where's my review? Edit my review. Okay, no, my. Oh no, there is a star rating. Ah. Ah, <laughs> I, just, I, I see know, it. Fuck! I just, <laughs> I just took it off. <laughs> You're right. Fuck. You did. It went away. But you saw it. I did. Ah, shit. Okay. It, could, it, could, it could change, though, Corey. It very well oh, could change. It could Lord change. Knows that's happened oh, I'm so, I can see yours still. Fuck you. No! <laughs> We're it on could change. Footing. It could change. <laughs> I need the baby to know that people can change. <laughs> <laughs> Doreen, I can change. <laughs> everybody go watch uh i think you should leave for that incredible i want the baby to know people can change <laughs> sloppy steaks sloppy zd with the fucking fellas um, i gotta get out of here all right get out of here mitch um if, if anyone's watching along with us i would also suggest watching uh the documentary that's called scream queen my nightmare on elm street it's it's about the actor who uh is the is the lead in nightmare on elm street part two and it's equal part like kind of like a, a biopic about him and also a movie about the making of nightmare on elm street part two um i would definitely check that one out hell yeah um if you don't want to do that but you want to uh, follow me on Twitter. You can do that <laughs> at, at Mr. Corey Price. Damn. You, you you cannot find my Letterboxd review of this movie, but you can find my Letterboxd reviews on Letterboxd. Um, you can listen to the two other podcasts that I make. One of them is about a bunch of whole mess of Mortal Kombat stuff. MK Podcast with our friend Neil. And uh, if you want to hear me talk about F1, we have finally found some time to record some more episodes of Strat 2, uh, the podcast I do with my friend Callum. And that's uh, on Twitter. Both of those are on Twitter under those exact names. So you can just go find them. Uh, thank you all once again for listening to this episode of They Made Another One. Sorry, it was so haunted. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another, which is all one word and on Letterboxd at TMAO. You can find episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker and everything else as They Made Another One. You can reach us via email at TMAOpodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and if it was absolutely excruciating to listen to me try to pick a movie this week. Our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jade Dickinson, who you can find on Instagram at Jade Sketches. And with all that out of the way, we're going to Nightmare on Elm Street next week. <laughs> I don't know. Part two. <laughs> Part two. Freddy's going to get some revenge next week. Trust me, somebody's about to get hit with a basketball. And oh, they made another one? Mm-hmm.